Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. John chapter 10, and we're, we're doing a study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order, as you know, and uh, we find ourselves in the midst of a conversation Jesus is having with the Pharisees. He had just uh, healed a blind man, and they, it was on the Sabbath, and they had a huge issue with that, obviously, because they were more concerned about um, man's law rather than God's law. This, Jesus didn't break, violate man's or God's law. He violated man's law, and man was up in arms about it. So what ends up happening is, uh, you know, Jesus has a conversation with them. And we, we began the conversation um, last week, and we're continuing it on this week. But, and we'll go through it. The, the John chapter 10 will be in it for several weeks. But, but Jesus is using a very common a word picture to help the Pharisees of his day understand where they sit where they are in, in terms of how they are as leaders and, and how they are relating to the sheep of God. It was something that every one of them would, would, would get. And every person um, that Jesus was, was, was even in the earshot of what Jesus was saying would understand the picture that he was painting. He's talking about the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd being the leadership of Israel and the sheep being uh, the, 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 the house of Israel, actually. And he talks about a sheepfold, and he talks about a door. And that's where we are today, is we're just sort of breaking, through, breaking into this chapter where Jesus begins, and, and he talks about a door that shepherds have to enter if they are truly true shepherds of Israel. So would you stand with me? And we're going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 10, and we're going to um, pick up verses 3 through 6 this morning. But just for context, we want to read the whole uh, 10 verses. John chapter 10, beginning in verse 1, Jesus saying to the Pharisees, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in an, by another way, the man is a, a thief and a robber, but he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls, him, uh, calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them. The she and the sheep will follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come be uh, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, we ask as we sit before you as sheep that you would speak to our hearts. You're the great shepherd. You were the good shepherd. You were the door. May we see you clearly this morning, Lord. May we allow your spirit to shape our hearts. Lord, as, as the clay sits before the master potter, Lord, here we are. Well, our hearts are open to you. Whatever you would like to do in our lives, God, we're open to your will. And we ask that you would just move in us by the, your spirit, through your word this morning, by the power of the blood of the lamb, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, everyone in Jesus' day, as I said, would understand this picture of how a shepherd would interact with his sheep. The shepherd was the caretaker. He was the provider. He was the protector. Not only the protector from the predators in the wilderness, but listen, he was the protector of the sheep themselves. Because as you know, 
sheep are not incredibly bright animals. You know that? They are not real bright at all. They, they're prone to wander, and they're incredibly prone to danger. In fact, sheep are so dense that they, they will um, end up you know, in ravines and falling off ravines, and they'll just walk right off cliffs. And here's what's interesting, that one will accidentally fall off a cliff, but the rest of them will intentionally follow. So, so a, a, a sheep might fall off a cliff, but the rest of the crowd will just continue to follow right off the cliff. Isn't that interesting? They're, they're that dense that they are just so prone to follow that they'll follow even to their own death. Now, you realize that God is speaking to us when he's speaking about sheep. He's speaking to people. It's not a compliment, by the way. It's to help us understand who we are. You know, it's interesting to me how oftentimes people will, will um, they'll, they'll watch another sheep go down a road. Maybe, maybe it's drugs, maybe it's alcohol, maybe it's a flirting with somebody in the office and they end up getting a, into, they fall, right? How is it that other sheep seeing that go, oh, I can handle it, but I can do the same thing and not fall. They're following this into the same trap as the, the one that just before them that fell. Oh, but I can handle it. And the Lord says, no, you can't. That's why you need a shepherd. The Lord is telling us that, you know, in Israel, the terrain is incredibly rugged where they would, where they would um, you know, uh, pasture these, uh, these sheep. And, and it's kind of mountainous and there's ravines and rocks and all this kind of stuff. And it happens all the time, actually, where flocks will die. Hundreds of sheep at a time, actually, because one follows one right over the cliff. And they just keep going and going and going and they stack the bodies. We have to be careful as sheep that we're not following each other, but that we're following the good shepherd. That's what the Lord wants us to understand, that we need a shepherd. Sheep need a shepherd to protect them, not just from the predators in the wilderness, wolves, bears, etc., but we need God to protect us from ourselves. We need God to protect us from ourselves. Um, not, you know, Jesus being the good shepherd, he is watching over us at all times. He is guiding us. He is convicting us. He is leading us into the right pasture. But listen, not all shepherds are like that. There are many, many shepherds in this world, under shepherds, we'll call them, because Jesus is the one and true shepherd, but under shepherds that are standing before people, God's sheep, that are leading them astray, that are, that are, causing them to, you know, they're fleecing the flock, they're stripping them down, they're, they don't have any care for the sheep whatsoever. What they care about is themselves. And that's the ones that Jesus is speaking to. He's talking to these lead, this leadership in Israel that is so self-centered and so about themselves, they care nothing about the sheep. And, and Jesus says, you guys are, are like thieves and robbers. You guys are not true and genuine sheep. He's helping us to understand that there is a difference between a good shepherd and a bad shepherd, and he gives us a great picture here. Now, the differentiator he uses in the first six verses is a door. He talks about a sheepfold, and he talks about there's a door that the true shepherd will come and enter through. Everyone else, every false shepherd, every other one will climb over the wall, but only the true shepherd will come to the door because there's a gatekeeper. We'll get into that. Verse 1 and 2 tells us, that true shepherds enter the sheepfold through the door. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does enter, not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in another way, the man is a thief and a robber. 
but he who enters by the doors is the shepherd of the sheep. We talked about this last week, but just for sake of uh, bringing everyone up to speed, there's one legitimate way to enter a sheepfold, and that's through a door. And there's only one door. The, the sheepfold that Jesus was talking about was a four, was it just a square stone walled, um, you know, uh, pasture, little, little, little corral that had one door. And, and there was only one way in and one way out, and there was somebody there to sort of watch over that. When Jesus talks about the sheepfold, he's talking about the nation of Israel. In order for someone to become a shepherd of the sheep of Israel, you have to come through the door. What is he referencing? We talked about last week that that door, specifically this door that Jesus is referencing right here, is scripture. There is a door that they have to enter in through, and Jesus himself had to enter through that door to become the true shepherd, to, to show the people of Israel that he is the true shepherd. So there's two different doors that he's talking about in John chapter 1, verses, or John 10, 1 through 10. The first door he's talking about is the door to scripture. The second door that he talks about is the door of salvation, which is him. It's interesting that there are two sheepfolds that he talks about in the first 20 verses. The first sheepfold is the children of Israel. The second sheepfold is us, the Gentiles. He talks about, I think in verse 16 or so, that there's another sheep, there's other sheep that he has to lead out. And he's talking about the sheepfold of the world. And he's talking about the Gentiles that have to be led out as well. So, um... He's talking about the fact that all shepherds have to come through Scripture. There is mandates for being a shepherd in God's kingdom, you know, in God's, God's church or even back in this day. In Judaism, there was a process. There was a calling on someone's life. And what happened was these people had forsaken. I mean, it, it was all totally corrupt. The entire system was totally messed up. You know, um, Artaxerxes or... Um, um, Antichius uh, Epiphanes had first, you know, taken over the right to appoint different people. That's where it started when Syria, when the children of Israel went to Babylon and all that. That's when all of the, the, the entire system became corrupt because man started appointing men. Well, unfortunately, when the children of Israel came back to their land, they continued on doing the same thing. They appointed their own people. And that's continued on even till this day. There are men appointing men here in our, even in the church today. We see it all the time. You see people, you know, um, there, there are, for instance, there's different types of leadership in, in churches. And, and if you've ever been part of, you know, uh, certain congregations are congregationally led, um, you know, churches. What does that mean? That means the people decide who the pastor is. Wait a second. Where is that in the scripture? Where in the scripture does it say that the people get to decide who, call, who God's called? doesn't ever say that, does it? That's unbiblical. Actually, that is completely unbiblical. Man doesn't appoint man ever. It doesn't matter. If I, have, if I appoint somebody in the leadership of our thing, I'm not appointing them. I'm simply recognizing what God has done in their life. It's not man appointing man. And, and that, unfortunately, is happening all over in the church today where you have man appointing man. And, and when I don't like how man is doing it, you know, we're going to come together and we're going to appoint somebody else. Maybe God is ruffling some feathers. And maybe people don't, under, don't like that and don't understand that. But listen, there's a biblical mandate in Scripture that God is the one that appoints. And God doesn't look at people the way that man looks at people. Remember when David was appointed king? And, 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 
and uh, Samuel had come up to Jesse and he said, okay, it, oh, it's got to be the oldest son, you know, it's got to be him. Look at this guy, he's stature, look at his phys physique and all this stuff. It's got to be him. No, it's not him. He passes all the way down and, and God says it's not any of these men. And, and Samuel's kind of perplexed at this point. This is the prophet of God saying, well, Lord, I don't know. Notice he's not the one appointing, by the way. But he says, well, Lord, I don't, hey, Jesse, do you have another son? Because none of these are it. Jesse says, yeah, I do have another son. And he's, he's a shepherd boy. Why would you want him? Well, go get him. They bring David out. And what happens? The Lord says, that's my man. You see, Samuel, the problem is you look at the outside. I look at the inside. We can make ourselves look really good. We can make ourselves look really spiritual. We can make ourselves look, um, you know, like, like we're really living it out. And yet, God knows our heart. God calls a man. He appoints a man. We simply recognize what he's done, amen? And, and that was what was happening. The Bible tells us that. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 through 12. And he gave, not the church, not some board of elders, he, speaking of Jesus Christ himself, he is the Lord, he's the king of the church. He gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. This is the mission statement of the church, folks. God is given for the sake of ministry. So, so we come in together, we gather together. God has appointed someone to be that person, to, to, to lead the congregation, and then he, his responsibility through the leadership of that church is to equip the saints for the what? Work of the ministry. That's the mission statement of the church right there. Now, there are confirmations of the calling. Obviously, 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 through 7, Titus 1, 6 through 9. These scriptures, they, they, they tell us what um, the, the calling of a person would look like, like the fruit of that person, right? They help us to understand. Dennis shared with me the, this weekend a prophetic word from Charles Spurgeon back in the you know, 1800s. He said, a time will come, listen to this, when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining the goats. Now tell me if that isn't prophetic. Tell me if that's not prophetic. We have worshiptainment. You ever heard the term? Let's get smoke and lights and let's do a concert and let's get these people all emotionally stirred up and then we're going to give them a, a false gospel and not that all churches do that, that they have lights and all that stuff, but I'm just saying that what are we propagating? What happens if the power goes out? Does church stop? Can we still have church if we don't have all that? I'm not saying every church is wrong to have that. I'm just saying that what are we making this about? Is this about Jesus? Is it about us growing in our relationship with each other and with him? That's what it's about, folks. This is why we're here this morning, is to know him more and to be rub elbows with our brothers and sisters so that we can be in each other's life, so that we can do life together. That's the point. It's the entire point of us gathering together. Jesus says, listen, there's but one way to become a shepherd of the flock, and that's to enter by the door of the Scripture. Jesus himself had to enter the door him, um, of, uh, through the door of Scripture as well. You know, uh, the Scripture talked about how Jesus would be of the lineage of David, that he would be of the line of the tribe of what? Judah. Was Jesus of the line of, was he of the tribe of Judah? You can shake your head up and down, yes, because it's, was Jesus of the lineage of David? You can shake your head, yes. Uh, did you know that um, Joseph 
was of the lineage of, of uh, David and that Mary was also of the lineage of... Did you know that Jesus' bloodline came through Mary and um, you know, his, his throne right came through Joseph? I mean, God ordains all of these different things. Where was Jesus born? Bethlehem. Doesn't Micah 5.2 say Jesus or the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem? You know, we can go on and on about the scriptures of, uh, of about how Jesus entered the door of the scripture, how he was the right one. These are messianic prophecies that only Jesus could fulfill, and he did fulfill them. The, the, the shepherds and the people of, of his day, when he came, were a wreck, just like you know, Ezekiel saw in Ezekiel 34. Did anybody read that last week? Anybody read Ezekiel 34, man? Let me give you a picture real quick of the, of the things that are happening in the leadership there. Ezekiel 34, verse 1. If you have your Bibles, open up there. The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, all shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they are scattered, because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill my sheep were scattered all over the face of the earth, and none, of this, uh, none to search or seek for them. Verse 7, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a, become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their, feet, to, to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they might not be food for them. God is saying that there is a, a, you know, there's a stricter wrath for those who are in leadership. The Bible says that for those who stand before, for those who have been appointed, that this is God's sheep. Jesus said it would be better for a man to take a millstone, a gigantic, maybe 2,000 pound stone, whatever, and tie it around his neck and huck it overboard than it would be for anyone to mess with his sheep. That's how much he loves us. And so for someone to stand and to, to, to strip the sheep, to, to, to treat them harshly, to fleece them, to, to not feed them, but yet to take from them, God would have a major problem with that. And that's what he's saying here. And Jesus is, is saying this is the time that he's living in. The shepherd of Israel have all gone astray. They are all about themselves. So God goes on in that chapter, and I'm not going to read it, but he goes on and says he's going to send himself a shepherd, and it will be himself. It, it, he talks about David there at the end of the chapter, but he's talking about the lineage of David. He's talking about Jesus. This, David lived long before this. This isn't talking about David, but this is talking about a descendant of David, Jesus Christ, the one who would reign and rule as the one and true shepherd of Israel. Listen, I am thankful that God is in the business of for, for fixing corruption, aren't you? 
aren't you glad that God's in control and that he has, no matter what corruption is going around in our world or going on in our own, our own country and our own government or whatever, that God is in control and that he's, got it, he's, he's at work and he's doing something. And we can rest in him and we don't have to worry. We don't have to take that, um, that worry on ourselves because God is doing something. He himself is the, the shepherd of not just the, the fold of Israel, but even us today. He's our shepherd. The differentiator then for the true shepherd and the false shepherd is the door they enter. False shepherds don't come through the door. They don't come through scripture. They appoint themselves. And Jesus himself comes through the door. Secondly, we find the door is only open to a legitimate shepherd. Look at verse 3. It says, to him, to who? To the one who comes to the door. Listen, it says, the gatekeeper opens. Uh, the gatekeeper or the porter was a hireling during that day. He was a guy that just would be hired to be put into that, um, that little um, corral there. And he, his job was to watch the sheep. So they had community um, stables or whatever, and they would bring, you know, the little villages would have a little, little stable there, and they would, people would bring their sheep there, and they would put them in there at night. Maybe the shepherd passing through there would go and they would drop their sheep off. They'd go in to maybe have a meal or something, and they would come and grab their sheep in the morning and take off. There was somebody there that watched them. He's called a gatekeeper or a porter. Now, now his job is to care for the sheep, to watch out for them, to make sure that nothing happens to these guys, to make sure that you know no one comes through that door and tries to take other people's sheep. He's the gatekeeper. He's, you know, so who is that speaking of? Who might be the gatekeeper? Of this sheepfold of Israel, who might it be? If the door is scripture, then the gatekeeper must be the Old Testament prophets. Must be the ones, the gatekeepers that are, that are saying to the people, this one or that one or thus says the Lord, whatever it might be. We're talking about Isaiah. We're talking about Jeremiah. We're talking about Daniel. We're talking about Obadiah. We're talking about, you know, Micah. We're talking about all these, Ezekiel, these guys. They all were gatekeepers, but there was one specifically that would come that would be the gatekeeper of all gatekeepers because he was the forerunner of the messiah this gatekeeper that jesus is speaking about is probably none other than who john the baptist john the baptist he was the one he was uh, isaiah says that he was a voice cry he um that isaiah would be a one that would a voice cries in the wilderness prepare the way of the lord make straight in the desert a highway for our god John was the final gatekeeper of Israel. He was the one. He was the forerunner to Jesus that would identify the one and true shepherd of the sheep. The identification, listen to this, that Jesus was the one. You know what it was found in? The descending of the Spirit of God upon him. Do you know that? That's how John knew. John and Jesus were cousins. Uh, you know that, right? Elizabeth and Mary were cousins, and so John was probably six months older than Jesus. You know, when Jesus, when Mary came to Elizabeth's house, it says that John leapt in Elizabeth's womb. Like, she, he knew that the one was there, but they didn't, they didn't, you know, he didn't recognize until, until the Spirit of God descended. Check this out. John, John the Apostle records the words of John the Baptist in John chapter 1, verse 31 through 34. He said, I myself did not know him. But for this purpose, I came baptizing with water that he might uh, be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness, speaking of the Baptist, I saw the, um, the, the Spirit descend like heaven 
I, I, I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom, the Spirit, whom, on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have bore witness that this is the Son of God. I get so excited that I can barely read. Can you imagine being John the Baptist? That's your cousin. I don't know how well they knew each other. I don't know that they lived in the same town or anything, but it's your cousin. And here he comes, and he's like, dude, you need to baptize me. He's like, okay, well, I'm not baptizing you, man. You need to baptize me. He knew that Jesus had some anointing on his life, and yet it wasn't until the, the Spirit fell on him that he saw the Holy Spirit that he knew because that was the sign that he had been given. The identifier of a good shepherd, of a true shepherd, is the Holy Spirit, folks. It's the Spirit of God descending upon the man. Listen, you can see the Holy Spirit upon a person, can you not? How do we see it? We see it in fruit. We see it in love, in joy, in peace, in patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We see it in that. The Holy Spirit upon somebody, we say, oh, this person belongs to the same Lord I do. And then you see the, the Holy Spirit working in their life, and you say, man, the Lord has anointed that person. You ever been around an anointed person before? You can tell the Lord's got something special. They have a special ministry upon that person. It's not that they're any greater or anything like that. It's just that God has a calling on their life for something specific. Did you know God has a calling on your life? Did you know that God has a specific ministry for you? That, that like you're not just part of a body that you have no function. Listen, even the armpit has a function. It, it's meant to cool the body. It's to keep the body healthy. God has a plan for your life. God has a calling for your life. Live out the calling. God, what is your calling for me? And help me to live it out. The Holy Spirit is the one that will tell you that. He'll, he'll, you, you can see the calling of a person through the Holy Spirit. The gatekeeper isn't just going to let anyone into the sheepfold, folks. They must be a shepherd. Thieves and robbers, they're going to come. They're going to have to crawl over the walls to get to the sheep. But a genuine shepherd he will come through the door and the gatekeeper will recognize him and he will say this one, he's a shepherd and he's allowed to come in. The door is only open to a legitimate shepherd. Look what Jesus says next in verse three, uh, continuing on. The sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. A stranger they do not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used for the, with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. This is so incredibly rich right here. This section of scripture is, is top, this is top, like this is filet mignon when it comes to the scripture, man. I mean, this is deep stuff. What is it declaring? It's declaring that those who are God's sheep will have a genuine interest to follow God. They'll have a genuine interest to follow God. They will hear the voice of the true shepherd. Now, this is where things can get dicey if we're not careful. Because man likes to take God's word and, and take it to sometimes way, way too, too great of extremes. They like to take God's word and go one way or the other with it. 
And we just got to stay in the harness, right? We just got to stay in the center and say, God, let your word speak for itself. Here, it tells us it's undeniable that it says that the shepherd stands in the doorway and he calls the sheep and they come. The sheep is the children of Israel. The shepherd is Jesus. He's coming. He entered through the door, through the scripture. John the Baptist had made the way for him. Now he's calling his sheep out. How are they his sheep? Because Romans chapter 20, uh, 8, 28 tells us that those whom he foreknew, he predestined. Those whom he predestined, he, he, um, he called. Those who he called, he justified. Those who he justified, he glorified. We can't deny what it's saying here in the scripture. That's what it's saying. His sheep hear his voice. They're his sheep. They know him. They know him. You know, but we have to be careful that we don't go as far as to make a doctrine called irresistible grace out of this. We have to be careful about that. The ideology states that no matter what, you cannot resist the calling of God. Um, that would be the extreme end of that. There's a theological position held by um, Calvinists known as the effectual call or the efficacious call of God, and that would be that the Holy Spirit, when God draws you, you come because you're his sheep and you hear his voice. Okay, we are his sheep and we hear his voice. You can't deny that. That's what scripture says. However, there is also the idea of there's man's responsibility. This, this concept of the sovereignty of God and his will and the fact that man is responsible, you cannot isolate one or the other. You have to take it in a, as a whole in the scripture. And when it says what it says, that his sheep hear his voice, you have to be okay with that. It's okay. He's sovereign. His sheep hear, hear his voice. That's okay. However, however, we must understand that there is resp man's responsibility. Man has to respond to God. Man has to come to, 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 the, to the door and to respond to the voice of the shepherd. He has to do that. God won't make him do that. But we also understand that the scripture tell us, John 6, 44, that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Do you understand that salvation is 100% the work of God? 100% his work. Nothing we do. We don't stand before God and we say, God, man, I... I'm choosing, you know, the Bible tells us that we love him because he first loved us. He's taken all the steps towards us. Salvation is 100% in his bulk, in his court. He's done it all for us. We simply have to respond. And every Calvinist would say the same, that you have to respond to God's calling. So I don't understand the irresistible grace thing, but whatever. The, the reality is, is that if we, if we take scriptures to one end, we get Calvinism. If we take, take it to another end, we get Arminianism. We can't do that. What we need to do is sit and let the scripture speak for itself. I'm a big picture guy. You know, I, I, the nuts and bolts, you know, um, it can get a little, he, you know, it can get a, get a little bit fuzzy sometimes. So I like to just keep it simple. You know, I, I like Pastor Chuck's motto of teaching the Bible. Uh, simply teach the Bible simply. Simply teach the Bible simply. Just keep it simple. You know, the KISS principle. Keep it simple, stupid. You ever heard that? That's what, that's what we're supposed to do in the church. We're supposed to present the gospel in a simple way. At the end of the day, these theological truths, man, we'll find out when we get to heaven. You know, but at the end of the day, no one can deny the fact that God is 100% in control of salvation and man has responsibility to respond. Nobody can deny that because the scripture is clear. But I think John 3, 16 through 18 does a really good job of helping us understand this in, in a very simple way. 
and the theologians would just totally disagree with me, and that's okay because I'm not a theologian. Very simple guy. I like to keep it real simple so that I understand it and so that I can teach it to other people. John 3.16, check this out. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Now, according to this scripture, who does God uh, love? The world. The world. That would include the elect and the, the non-elect. The world. That would include everyone, right? Okay, so God so loved the world. So we know that God hasn't sent his son for only some, but he's, but he, but he's sent them for all because he so loved the world that he sent his son. Okay. What is the requirement of salvation according to this verse? Believing. To believe in Jesus. It's by faith, right? Nothing we do. All, everything that he's done, okay? Who can believe in Jesus? Who does it say? Whoever. Whoever can believe in Jesus will all be saved. What does it say? No. Not everyone will believe. Not all will be saved. Why? Because they don't believe. Who gives us the ability to believe? God. God does. You can't slice and dice that, guys. You can't take one out from the other. It's so, you know, it's so complicated and yet it's so simple. Just leave it. God loves the world, so he sent his son, and whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We have a call to share the gospel. You know, whether you're Calvinist or Arminianist or whatever, your calling doesn't change. You're called to share the gospel. Teach, tell people about Jesus. Tell them that they need Jesus. And whoever will call upon his name shall be saved. That's where we sit. That's where we leave it. It's okay. Ephesians 8 through 9 tells us that even the faith that we have, God gave us. For it's by grace through faith that you've been saved. And that not of yourselves, but it's a gift. What's the gift? Faith. Faith is the gift that God gave us the ability to even believe in him. You can't separate the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. Um, it is an incredible, incredible um, truth that we don't have to try and reconcile. We can just leave it, right? We'll figure it out when we get there. Now, here's the interesting thing is, one other thing. God, it says, has called all people to himself. John chapter 12, verse 32. And I, Jesus speaking, and I, when I am lifted up from earth, will draw all people to myself. But only some will respond but only some will respond. Not because God shut the door on some and opened the door on others, but because not everyone will respond to God's good will toward men, who is his son, Jesus Christ. That is why. Now, it's also interesting here that Jesus is speaking about the sheep of Israel. Specifically, notice what he says here. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his sheep, his own sheep by name and leads them out. Shepherds have a distinct call for their sheep. They can just whistle or whatever. Um, they, they have some kind of a noise or whatever they make. Yeah, a yip or whatever. Maybe that's cattle. I don't know. I'm not a farmer. I'm not a rancher. I don't even know anything about that stuff. But what I know is that they have a distinct call. They can whistle. They can do something just like you would train your dog to listen to, you, to your voice and he would know your voice. But he's not going to listen to a stranger, is he? 
you let my year, one and a half year old Weimaraner out of the house, she, she's gone. She ain't listening to you. She barely listens to me. I'm her owner. She lives with me. You know, the reality is, is that God's sheep hear his voice. They're not going to listen to somebody else. He's able to just walk up to a door. A shepherd could walk up to a common sheepfold and he could just go, and his sheep would just follow. And he could say, come on, uh, Donner and Vancer and whatever. The, the, I don't even know those. I don't even know the reindeer, man. Rudolph, whatever. You know, come on out. And he's calling them out by name because he knows their name. Because a shepherd's that intimate with his sheep. Like he knows them. He loves them. He ministers to them. He's call, he draws them out. He calls them by name. They're, they know his voice. But here's the thing is, he's leading them out. And that's what's interesting about this because he's talking about the sheepfold of Israel. And Jesus is leading them out. This is pretty interesting because what, what we find here is that um, Jesus himself is leading the children of Israel into something new. He's leading them out of the old covenant into a new covenant. You understand that? Like he said he was going to do that, right? He, he promised that he was going to send a new covenant. And, and so what he's doing, Jesus, is, Jesus is, is so deep in what he's telling these guys. Now, they're not going to get it all, you know, but what he's telling them is, I'm drawing the children of Israel out of the sheepfold into another. And he'll tell us later in the chapter that he's going to bring another sheep other sheep from another fold and he's going to bring them all together and we are all going to unite into what is known as spiritual Israel. Not to be confused with Judaism, okay? That is something completely different. Did you know that when we get to heaven, Judaism's not the religion? You know, we're not going to get in heaven and we're going to be like, oh, hey, how you doing? And we're all going to have yarmulkes and stuff. That's not, that's not how it's going to work. Do you, and I'm not, I'm not making fun of them, but what I'm saying is, is that God called people out of Judaism. He called them out of the Old Covenant into the New Covenant. What I find interesting is why in the world do, do Christians, who Gentiles, who become Christians want to convert backwards? I don't understand. Why do we want to come, become under the Old Covenant? Why do we want to fall under the, 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 the regulations of the Old Covenant? We don't want to. I promise you, you don't. I promise you, you don't. You want to live... In, in the new covenant, because that's where Jesus is. That's where the blood of the lamb covers you for your sin, where he wipes you away and makes you brand new, where he's completely and totally washed you white as snow. That's where I want to be. Listen to me. There are people that when they come to Christ, they want to convert backwards. And Jesus is trying to pull people forwards. And he's trying to, listen, the Jews have to convert we're not called to convert backwards to proselytes of Judaism. We're called to all meet in the middle where Jesus is. That's where we're called to be. And that is called spiritual Israel. Okay? That, that is what, what, what Paul talks about in the book of Romans, I think it's chapter 11, where he's talking about that we're grafted into the root. The root is spiritual Israel, not Judaism. Because the, Judaism is a man-centered religion at this point. It's, it's been completely and totally, it's way beyond what God had ever called it to be. That's not what he's calling us into. Listen, for those people who want to convert backwards, it would be like going back to the, the, the first generation iPhone. Hello? You want the first generation iPhone? I probably got one. I'll sell it to you for like 500 bucks. I, I mean, you know, seriously, why would you convert backwards? The iPhone 6.0. 
extended, the big one. I got it. And I had the original one, and I can tell you there's no comparison. The, the, the new one is faster, it's better, it, it performs better, it's stronger, and you know what? It's got LTE, man. The internet service on that thing is so greater than 3G. Anybody want to go back to 3G? You know what 3G is. If you don't, just, just, just nod your head like you do. You've you got to come into this generation, folks. But here's the thing is that 3G is so slow, but LTE is fast. And why would we convert backwards? You see the analogy? Why would we do that? Jesus is calling the sheep out of the sheepfold of Israel. He's calling them into a relationship with him into what's called the new covenant. We'll find that next time. That's what Jesus talks about. Is he being the door? The door to what? The door to the new covenant. The new covenant is relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter one tells us that for long ago, Jesus, uh, the, the father tried to reach out through man, through prophets, through these different people. But in these days, he speaks to us through his son. Through his son, Jesus. This is new covenant language. We don't have to go backwards. We can rest. You know what? The law's been written on our heart. We have the Spirit of God in us. Now we can live the life that he's called us to live. It just jacks me up to think that God, from day one, was thinking about you. He was thinking about the children of Israel. He was thinking about those people that would be in that sheepfold, and he knew them by name, and he would call them out, and they would listen, and they would follow, and they would, they would, they would become his, uh, they, would, they would be his sheep. Jesus said they heard his voice. They don't follow strangers. They didn't follow strangers, and we don't follow strangers today. We need to hear him. Listen, if you're duped today, you're duped by your own voice. You're duped by your own heart. God is saying to you that he sent a shepherd to lead you, to comfort you, to protect you, to guide you. And if you're, if you're duped into some other gospel, that's your own heart trying to create a God in your own image. And you're, only, you're not following a shepherd, you're following yourself. It's humanism, it's all about me. And Christ said, no, it's all about me. It's all about me. We need to hear his voice. And if you're here this morning and you're not listening to God, listen, and you're his sheep, you know what a shepherd does to a sheep that doesn't listen? He disciplines the sheep. You know, the Bible tells us that for those whom God loves, he chastens. He disciplines. Why? Because he loves us. Anybody who's, who has a child or a dog or something that they love understands the concept that I love this thing and I, or this dog or this, this thing, this child, whatever it is, I love them and I want them, I, I want them to listen to me because it's important. One time I was, uh, um, we, we were in the parking lot of Target up in Spring Hill, and my, my son Jude was just a little guy, and, and we were going from, I think, like, you know, whatever, the, the pets, pet Smart or whatever, over to Kohl's or something, and we were walking, because we had parked down there, and we were walking, the, so Juder was cutting through some cars, but Sonia was way up in front of, and I was way behind him, and Jude just took off running, and you know, there's cars going in and out, and he's running through, through cars, parked cars, and he's running across this, the, the, the place where the people will be driving, the entrances and stuff like that, and he's running towards his mom. I see a car going fairly fast, coming this way, 
And I said, Jude, stop. And do you know? He heard his dad's voice. And he was like, and he was this, this far from the car. God is speaking to you today because he loves you. Because he doesn't want you to be heard. You know, he wants you to listen to him. He's trying to protect you. He's trying to, to, to help you avoid some things that you don't want to experience in your life. But he's going to let you run if you want to run. So he says to you today, listen to my voice. You know it. You can't deny you're hearing me. But you've got to obey me. You have to be willing to obey me. Christ gave all for you. He laid it all down on the cross. He didn't hold back one ounce. Did he want to go to the cross? You can read the, the prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane and you can answer that question yourself. He said, Father, if there's any other way. He understood what, what was going to happen there. And yet he did it because he loves us. He gave all. He didn't hold back at all. We can't hold back, folks. We're his. He's called you. He's drawn you. He's saved you. And now he's saying, live for me. Hear my voice and walk according to my voice. I end with a quote from Spurgeon. He says this. All the sheep of Christ who have been redeemed by his power become his by their own willing and cheerful surrender of themselves to him. We would not belong to another if we might, nor would we wish to belong to ourselves if we could, nor I trust do we want any part of ourselves to be our own property. Judge ye whether this be true of you or not. In that day when I surrendered my soul to the Savior, I gave him my body, my soul, my spirit. I gave him all that I had and all I shall have for time and for all of eternity. I gave him all my talents, my powers, my faculties, my ears, my eyes, my limbs, my emotion, my judgment, my whole manhood, and all that could come of it. Whatever fresh capacity or new capability I may be endowed with, were I at this good hour to change the note of gladness for one of, the sa one of sadness, it should be to wail out my penance confession of the times and circumstances in which I have failed to observe the strict and unwavering allegiance I owe to my Lord. So far from regretting, I would fain renew my vows and make them over again. Spurgeon said he gave all because Christ gave all. Our response to God is simply, here I am, Lord, everything just like Isaiah said to him, here, my Lord, send me. He has a plan and a perfect and a calling on your life. Every one of us is a respective shepherd in some way, shape, or form. If, you're, if you have a family, you're a shepherd, guys. If, if you have a family, ladies, you're shepherding your kids. If you have uh, you know, co-workers and friends and family and all these different things, there are circles of life that God is using you. He's called you into those circles of life to be ambassador, to be his voice box, to be the one to stand there. Are you doing the job that he called you to do? These shepherds were not. I pray you are. And if you're not, 
Start today. Simple thing. Lord, what would you have me to do? How would you have me to minister? And then be obedient to his voice. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning and for your word. And we thank you, God, that we are your sheep. And your sheep hear your voice. And we hear you loud and clear this morning, Lord. We hear what you, want to do, what you have for our lives, that you have a plan and a purpose, and that no doubt even you're speaking to our hearts this morning about the things that we're called to do in our lives. And maybe some of us have lost our way, Lord. Some of us have maybe not fulfilling the calling that you've given us. And for that, we're desperate. We're, we're, just, we're sorry this, mor this morning, Lord. for not being better ambassadors of the gospel. We know that you're not about trying to put a guilt trip on us, Lord. But we do know that we want to be obedient to your word. Help us today, Lord. Help us to be all that you've called us to be. Fill us with your spirit, Lord. Send us from this place fully equipped to do your will and your work, whatever you would have us do, Lord. For those in the leadership in this church, Lord, may they have heard your word this morning. For me, Lord, that we would be obedient, that we'd be the shepherds that you've called us to be in this flock, that we would love and we would care and that we would feed your sheep. And Lord, if we were not doing that, then help us to, God. We praise you, we thank you for who you are. We glorify your holy name. We ask that if there's anyone in this place this morning, God, that doesn't know you, that you would help them to come to that place where they realize you have come for their rescue, that you have come to save them personally, and that they would just have to call upon you, whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, whoever believes in Jesus Christ shall be saved. And we thank you for that this morning, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.